Welcome to Behavioural Sciences Uncovered, the podcast about behavioural science and how it is made. Today, we're in conversation with Dr. Roberto Weber from the University of Zurich. Thank you so much for taking our time for this interview. No problem. Today, I was hoping we could talk about your paper titled Identifying Social Norms Using Coordination Games, Why Does Dictator Game Sharing Vary, which yes. you co-authored with Dr. Erin Krupka at the University of Michigan. Um, um, yes, I'd be glad to talk about it. Yeah. So to begin with, could you please summarize your paper for someone who hasn't read your paper yet, but might be listening to the interview? Okay. So our paper deals with, as the title suggests, social norms and proposes a method for studying and identifying what social norms are. So social norms have long been discussed in the social sciences, including in economics. But in economics, they've been treated as something of a mysterious factor that drives behavior without really understanding what they are or how to identify them. So part of the approach in the paper is to try to think about how we can measure them and identify them more precisely and then see if we can incorporate them into the standard economic approach of utility maximization to see if you know they're useful in that perspective. The other part of the approach guiding the paper is to address this puzzle in that there are some choice contexts in economics where behavior moves around, even though the situations are fundamentally very similar. So what we study are these variants of something called dictator games, where people are given some amount of money and they can choose how to dis- how to allocate that money between themselves and someone else. And it turns out that in several prior experiments, including work that I had done previously, it seems that minor contextual changes, so minor changes to the situation, can change the degree to which people share with others quite substantially. And so we thought that social norms might be a very important factor in driving these types of changes. And part of the inspiration for this thinking was that if you look around the world, you see many situations that look quite similar, but where people act very differently based on changes to social norms. So think about where you tip people and where you don't. And so you tip, for example, a taxi driver, but you don't tip a, you know, a bus driver or an airplane pilot. You tip it at a restaurant or at Starbucks, but you don't tip at McDonald's. Even though the situations are really quite very similar, it seems that there's just something that changes. And so part of what we thought is, you know, norms change in these types of situations. In some cases, there's this understanding that we should tip here. And so that's why we feel obligated to do it. And that maybe the same thing happens in these dictator games. So the study aims to then kind of both develop a method for studying social norms and identifying what they are and then seeing if they can help us explain how behavior changes across different versions of the dictator game. Mm-hmm. That is uh, very interesting. Um, so in the paper, you decided to specifically focus on dictator games. Uh, was mm-hmm. there a specific reason for this? So the reason was because at the time, these Earlier studies showing that dictator game behavior moves around a lot were getting a lot of attention. And so I had done some of this work and other people had done some of this work and there wasn't a great explanation for it. And it you know, led some people to say dictator games are really unreliable because if you look at one version of it, people share. If you look at a different version of it, people don't share. And so there were a lot of questions being raised about behavior in these types of games. And so part of our motive for selecting these was to really try to figure out what's, 
to what extent is what's going on here and what's driving these changes in behavior related to social norms. And so that was the main reason for focusing on that. Of course, dictator games were also very simple to, to implement and to explain. And so that also was a consideration that, you know, led us to say, okay, we can come up with different versions of it that are exactly the same and everyone understands they're the same, but where we can change the way the game's described and see if that affects behavior. Okay. Um, and uh, how did your collaboration on this project start? So at the time, Aaron Krupka, I, at the time I was in the U.S. at Carnegie Mellon University. Now I'm at the University of Zurich. And Aaron Krupka was a doctoral student in our Ph.D. program in this interdisciplinary department of social and decision sciences. And so Aaron was very interested in social norms and had mm-hmm. been thinking about ideas related to social norms for a class she took from me. She proposed projects on social norms. And so we started talking about this and we had actually conducted an earlier paper, an earlier study that also produced a published paper on the topic of social norms and how making people think about norms and giving them information about what norms are out there can change their behavior. So we were already very interested in this topic, and then we were exploring kind of new types of questions to investigate, both in terms of identifying what social norms are and identifying where they might influence behavior. And so that's how we arrived at this uh, at this particular collaboration. Okay. And on that note, was your research question always clear from the start, or did it develop over time as you started working on it more? I mean, it, like most research the broad topic of social norms was something that we started with vague ideas about. And then, you know, each new step produced kind of new new ideas for research. But mm-hmm. by the time we set out to investigate the, the the questions in this particular paper, I think we had fairly clear ideas in mind. So we you know, knew essentially that what we wanted to do is figure out some way of measuring social norms, that it probably had something to do with coordination games, which I had studied before in the past, and that we wanted to try to identify some behavior that changes even though the fundamental economic situation doesn't change as a context in which to, to study and, and investigate the, the power of social norms. And so I think, you know, then it was very quick, very easy and immediate to, to start thinking about dictator games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And moving on to the more experimental section of the paper, how did you choose the different experimental versions of the dictator games that you tested in your paper? And what were the main considerations behind these? So the main test that we conduct is between two variants that, you know, really keep the game as identical as possible, but change only the way the game is presented. Essentially, the game is always one in which there's some amount of money to be divided between two people. Mm -hmm. The amount of money is fixed, and one person has complete discretion over that amount of money. And then the two versions of it simply vary kind of what the initial allocation of the of the game is. So in in one version of the game, we use the, the standard approach where, you know, one person essentially starts off with uh, $10 and can implement anything between keeping all 10 or sharing 10 with the other person. And then a different version that, again, involves an allocation of uh, $10, but where the other person starts with money. And so now, in some cases, you have to take money from the other person. Mm-hmm. So it's still exactly the same set of outcomes that are possible, all combinations of wealth where both people end up with some amount that sums to 10 
but the starting point is different. And we thought this was important because part of what it does is it changes the way that certain actions are, are labeled or described. So in one case, it's always giving. In the other case, it also involves taking, even though the outcomes are the same, the actions that you have to take differ. And we thought this was important because based on reading about norms and the way people had discussed them earlier, norms, in, in our view, and, and consistently with, with some of these earlier views, are defined over actions and things that you do. So prescriptive norms and injunctive norms deal with statements like you shouldn't do this, right? You shouldn't tell a lie or you, you know, you, you. And so it's really about actions that you take. And so that's why we thought the labeling of the actions was quite important. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think are generally the major difficulties in conducting experiments for economic research? So the main difficulties from conducting experiments I think vary with respect to the type of experiments that one does. So in our case, we did laboratory experiments where the strength of the method is that you have a lot of control and can really design the situation to be like what you want it to be. So, you know, you can really come up with a very clean situation where, where you, you describe everything to individuals. You kind of create the rules of the game and can make them whatever you want them to be. So we can very easily construct identical situations that involve giving, taking, and that's the only thing that's changing between the situations. The drawback of the laboratory is often that you produce things that are artificial in the sense that it doesn't look like the real world. Mm-hmm. So there's some strength in that you can kind of have a lot of control and design the, the laboratory world to be whatever you want it to be, but then questions arise about whether is it like the real world? Is it really telling us something about the real world? And that's where I think there's, you know, challenges in terms of both arguing and really understanding how it's similar and how we can learn about the real world from, from the laboratory and also trying to design experiments in some cases that are more natural and more like the real world. Here, what we chose to do is just produce something very simple that at the very least has some analogies to the real world, right? We can think of situations where being kind to someone involves giving something to them or refraining from, you know, taking or exploiting them. And, you know, even though from the perspective of outcomes, those things may be similar, we can envision feeling differently or there being different norms about those sets of actions that one has to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also in your paper, you re-examined data from prior experiments to test your results. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you choose to do this and how did you choose the data sets to be examined? So what we did is, as I said earlier, we started with the part of the reason we chose dictator games is that at the time there was this, um, you know, perception that there were these instabilities in behavior and that these were contexts where there were these puzzling and surprising changes that shouldn't happen. And so we thought this was something important and worth addressing. And so we thought, you know, part of the contribution of the paper can be to provide a way of uh, kind of accounting for these changes in behavior. And so, you know, in many ways, the, the perhaps the more important part of the paper is actually the the use of these elicited norms as a way of explaining these puzzling results from earlier papers. We still had a novel experiment just so we could say, look, you know, we're going to test what happens when we don't know what the outcomes look like. But we also started from the perspective that this method for measuring social norms, if it was going to be useful, it was also, you know, it was also 
support it be useful for explaining kind of important things that people found puzzling beyond anything that we produced in this particular experiment. And so that's why we built in this these additional measures of these other gains and then figured out a way to kind of incorporate them in terms of measuring the norms and then analyze the data, incorporating the elicited norms as a factor that helps us explain the behavior. Yeah. Moving on to the more general picture of view of the paper, what do you think were the biggest obstacles to bringing this project to life and eventually turning it into a publication? To be honest, I think it was actually fairly easy to bring to life in that once we knew what we wanted to do, it was, you know, straightforward to do it. I mean, it, it really, you know, it just required a couple of creative insights that Aaron and I had. So, I mean, one of the big challenges was, okay, how do you measure social norms? And so there we and Aaron in particular invested a lot of time in reading the literature on social norms and finding out how people outside of economics wrote about them and defined them. And then, you know, sitting down and spending some time thinking about, okay, how can we measure these things? And, you know, a couple of Key factors where norms are typically defined over actions, people, things people are doing. So then that gave rise to the fact that we measure how people feel about different actions. Also, norms are social. And so how do we measure social things? Well, we realize that coordination games where it's I'm not just saying what I think, but I'm saying what I think other people think are useful. And so, you know, putting all this together, once we kind of had those key insights then designing it and executing, it was actually quite straightforward. And then, you know, at some point we figured out that we could use fairly straightforward econometric techniques to produce this utility specification and estimate weights and show that it actually explains behavior across many situations, holding the weights constant. And so all of this followed fairly in a fairly straightforward manner. Publishing it was a bit trickier because we were doing something that's different. Mm -hmm. We don't really have a, a full economic model of norms. We essentially just take the perspective of they exist and we want to measure them. From a theoretical perspective, coordination games can measure anything because anything is an equilibrium in the type of coordination games we use. So they could measure norms, but they don't have to. And so, you know, we were doing something a bit different. And as a result of that, we found that, you know, usually people who were open to these kind of different ways of doing things really liked it. But referees were sometimes a bit uh, critical and harsh. And so we tried a few journals where we'd get some referees saying this is great and innovative and you know, it should be published and others saying, well, you know, theoretically, it isn't well founded and perhaps too different than what people are, are doing or the ways we think about these things. And so it wasn't the easiest paper to publish, but ultimately it, it ended up being published in a good journal. And it's, you know, it's had an impact since then, which we're very, very proud of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, with the benefit of hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently in this project? I mean, in most ways, you know, to be perfectly honest, this is in many ways one of the papers I'm most proud of. So it's one that I you know, wouldn't change too much because I think actually everything we did, we did well. I think the one thing that might have helped is if we would have tried to go a bit beyond dictator games. Ultimately, we were trying to speak to a set of researchers who really found the instability in dictator be game behavior puzzling and important. But a much broader set of economists are interested in other types of changes in behavior that don't have to do with dictator games or laboratory behavior where, you know, norms are potentially important and valuable for understanding. So, we, if, if I could go back in time, maybe I'd be a bit more ambitious and try to use this to explain more. But at the same time, that would make it a more 
um, less coherent paper would have made it trickier and less straightforward. And, you know, in, in many ways, it's worked out in that other people have used this, this method to, to investigate, you know, norms in other places. And so, so, you know, I'm, in general, I'm pretty happy with the way we, we executed this. Yeah, um, that's great. Um, also, is there any piece of advice that you would like to give to young researchers or to your younger self in terms <laughs> of uh, balancing ambition, creativity and doing something new? I think that one thing is to always try to think about why people should care about this. Why people beyond, let's say, the kind of immediate set of people that I'm talking to now find this research interesting. I think for young researchers, that's very important because when they go out and look for jobs and try to you know, get tenure and these types of things, it, you know, they have to be able to appeal to a very wide set of researchers, people with different interests and different perspectives. And so it's good to really start incorporating that early on. The other thing I think that we did well in this paper is really thinking about things carefully before starting to execute it and, you know, really thinking about what you're going to do and how it's going to fit together. And, um, you know, I think that the thinking here led us to do things like add, you know, measurements of these norms for existing published studies. And, you know, the paper wouldn't have been as valuable if we didn't have that. And to think of how everything was ultimately going to fit together. And and I think that researchers are very often, young researchers especially, are often too quick to trying to get to collecting the data or analyzing the data. And it really is just as important, even more important, to spend a lot more time before you get to that stage really thinking about what you're going to do with it once you have it, how you're going to motivate it, how you're going to kind of argue for the significance of what you're doing. And, and that's, that's I think, quite important. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for taking our time for this again. It's been really interesting talking to you. Well, thank you. And, uh, and uh, good luck with your, your, your podcast. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure to talk with you as well. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, goodbye.